Does your loved one have dementia? Are you looking for ways to connect with them? Or maybe you're the caregiver too and are looking for some more ideas to fill your day. I'm your host, Valerie Borgman, and today we're talking with Erica Curcio, the traveling art therapist. Now, you might be thinking, I'm no good at art and um, therapy? (laughs) But Erica shares some great tips and strategies to help you connect with your loved one. I promise you won't want to miss this episode. Like when I start meeting with someone, I'm in the back of my mind, my mind is going like, okay, what art swipe gonna work for this person? How am I gonna get this person connected? How can we try something different next time? Like what what's gonna work and like, what are the steps to get me there? Welcome to Desperately Seeking Senior Living, a podcast for sons, daughters, grandkids, and spouses who suddenly find themselves tangled in the search for senior living and care. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and check out our doable download in today's show notes for a printable summary of the show and a bonus tip from our guest. You're listening to our doable tips, short answers to your questions. Don't see your question listed? Send us a note. Then don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an answer. I'm really curious, what is the one question or concern that families have that you work with? Um, I think it's the only, that's like the big thing. It's like, how do you do it? What is the magic of Erica? And I didn't learn in school how to talk to someone living with dementia. I learned that on the job. And I learned that by working in several assisted livings in various positions and forcing myself to understand their reality, to have a better understanding of like how I can make an impact on somebody's life. Because I was like thinking to myself, there are things that I do that just come naturally, but there are also things that I do for very specific reasons, right? If somebody has vision problems or if somebody's dementia is affecting, um, like they have aphasia, they're living with aphasia or there's certain things I do because textbook, this is why I do it because I learned X, Y, and Z about this sort of symptom. And I might react to that symptom that way. But then what I've been learning is there is also this essence of Erica that's infused in that, that I can't teach because we all come from this different background. I've seen people make really great strides and do art with their loved ones, but then there's also people that I can't connect with and I have to be okay with that. So that that can be a struggle sometimes for making them like, oh, you could just do this. Yeah. And um, I think there there definitely is an essence to you. Oh, <laughs> right? thank you. I mean, that's why you're doing what you do, because you have that passion to help others. And so when you said um, that it's hard to connect with some people, do you mean both those with dementia that you're trying to help and the caregiver? That is a great question. I meant it as the caregiver, but yeah, when you phrase it that way, there are people that are in certain stages or areas of the disease where it's really, really difficult to connect with them. Maybe they don't speak. They have trouble hearing. They have the vision loss. Like There's a lot of things going on, a lot of sensory deprivation. And so how do you connect to that person? So textbook well, I, I introduce sensory things to them. I introduce touch. I introduce things that will get their nervous system going, but that doesn't always work. 
but that doesn't mean that you have to give up, right? So it means that maybe that's not right what I just did with this person. And it's interesting. I get so down on myself. Sometimes I'll get really excited to introduce something to someone, one of my clients, and then it just flops. Oh, no. (laughs) And so I learned that that person doesn't like that. And maybe I introduce it at another time. But I doesn't mean that I can't use that with somebody else. You know, I put all that effort in for this specific person and this other client may actually benefit from it. So maybe my directionality was wrong, but my intention was right. It just needed to get to the to the right person. So there's just different ways to connecting with people. Yeah. And I, I think that's also important to keep in mind about the disease in general, because it is such a personal disease that, you know, sometimes it's really hard. And I imagine you're collaborating with the caregivers to try to learn as much as you can about the person that has dementia. Yeah, definitely. What, what does that look like? What does your process look like? It changes. I don't have like a formal onboarding of someone, but what I appreciate is when I can get on the phone with someone who knows that person to a T and I can freely talk to them for 30 to 45 minutes. That's when I have the most success because in my back pocket, I have things about this person's history that I can then maybe bring up in an art session, or if they make reference to something, I have a better understanding of what their past was like and what their present looks like. I find that with clients that I don't know the information, it can sometimes take even longer to work with them to find that connection. So it's really helpful to have somebody who will give me the time to talk with me about this person, this person's backstory, what's troubling them these days as well. It's not formal in any way. It's really a flowing conversation. And it comes from a place of curiosity from me and just wanting to know everything about this person. And also if it's a care manager that reaches out to me, or if it's a family member, they want to tell me this information. They want to tell me what the struggles are because they reach out to me for help and they want me to connect with this person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really hard too for a lot of families, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, they really don't know what to do. Like they're really at a loss. Obviously, when you're working with someone who has dementia and you're the caregiver, you're used to communicating with them in a certain way. Yeah. You're used to communicating with your mom when she was, you know, your mom fully and able to have that conversation with you or with your spouse. And I actually just had a client the other day who is, um, she's caring for her partner who has dementia. And she was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what dementia, how I'm supposed to operate and what I'm supposed to do. And or even what I'm supposed to expect. And it's so hard because you just do what you can with the tools that you have. So do you have a favorite story of a family that you've been able to help with helping both the person with dementia and the caregiver? Yeah. Or maybe not a favorite one, but an example, because they're all your favorites. (laughs) They are all my favorites. There we go. Like when I start meeting with someone, I'm in the back of my mind, my mind is going like, okay, what art slice going to work for this person? How am I going to get this person connected? How can we try something different next time? Like what, what's going to work? And like, what are the steps to get me there? I find that a lot of people living with dementia are 
open to drawing, which seems crazy. But I find that if I give them the option of a few pictures to choose from, they're more likely to draw than somebody who has a typical brain and is just normative. And there's less less of a person getting in their own way when they're living with dementia. So that those, you know, your inhibitions, they lift. But I think that people living with dementia are often good at drawing because they draw what they see, not what they think they see. And this is something I've come to realize recently. People tend to not be good at drawing is because they want to draw what they think they see and not what they see. So if I see a tree and I start drawing it, well, I'm going to keep putting tree-like things on it. But someone who's living with dementia is looking at it and they're trying to draw what they see. They don't see the tree. They see lines. They see shadows. They see shapes. And that's what they're putting on that page. And when I can get a client to that point, not everybody's like that, but certain clients that I've worked with, they'll just draw and become so immersed. And when I talk to families, I say a lot of what I do is I sit in silence, which is awkward for people because why are you sitting in silence? And it's because when that person gets to that level of focus, I don't want to interrupt them because when I interrupt them, I take them out of their zone of focus. And then it's how do we get that person back into it? So what I have to say the remarks that I'm going to make don't necessarily matter. What matters is that person is focused. They're creating. They're creating new connections in their brain. They are seemingly enjoying themselves that they're focused on something. And that right there, that's it. They see that they're good at something. They see that they can do something and then they feel good about themselves. And I'm there to witness. I'm also there to support, but I'm there to, to witness this for them. So, so that's actually a tip that you give families just sit in silence once you've started. Yeah. I can imagine how hard that would be. Because as humans, we're taught to speak. And that skill that I learned is textbook, but also the essence of Erica, but also being a therapist because therapists have to learn to sit in silence. And so that's like those three parts. But if I can give that tip to a family member and they see that their loved one's focused, you're going to leave them alone because it's not about me. It's about them. Right. It's not about what I have to say or what I'm observing or it's about them. And so if they're focused and if you have a loved one living with dementia, you know how hard it can be for them to focus sometimes, depending on where they are in the disease process and to get them to sit and do something on their own can be really difficult. Once you get somebody in that zone, try not to take them out of it. That's so interesting and brings up another client that their mom was a painter and she lost her ability to paint through the disease. But now you've got me thinking that I should text her and be like, hey, see if your mom will draw. You know, maybe it's just the medium that she can't do. And so that's exactly it. That's really cool. (laughs) A lot of times it's like I sometimes have more difficulty with someone who was an artist in their former life than someone who wasn't because the artist wants things to be the way that they were and they're not, they, they can't be. I think that there's a quintessential vibe to what art is, but that's, that doesn't meet them where they are. I've only worked with one person who has worked on an easel. I presented the easel, but then we went right back to flat painting. They work better, in my experience, flat on a table and not professional setup kind of thing. And just make sure there's contrast between the paper and the table and the art supplies that they're using. And I often suggest different art supplies from what they're used to. 
unless they're persistent about, you know, I used to paint and I want to paint and I'm going to use paint and they feel good about that. But oftentimes it's about finding a different media for that person to be successful. Today's episode is brought to you by the Traveling Art Therapist, your virtual art therapist providing simple art tips and techniques for caregiver self-care and creatively connecting with someone living with dementia. Join their free caregiver art group on the last Friday of every month. To sign up, visit thetravelingarttherapist.com or check out their information in today's show notes. Do you find, because I like... I cannot draw. (laughs) So just speaking from the caregiver perspective, do you find that caregivers are a little leery of trying art just because it's art? I think it depends on the person, but yes. You know, like, Erica, I don't know how you do that. Or you're here to see my loved one. You're not here to see me. I can't draw a chicken. (laughs) Like, (laughs) It's about using color and it's using the art supplies in a way that feels good. Yeah, it might be that your loved one can draw, but maybe that's not your cup of tea. There's no one way to art. And unfortunately, I feel like people learn as a young kid, I'm not good at art. So a teacher told me this wasn't good enough. And then you stop. Yes. I think probably everyone has that story. Yeah. Because what you're doing, you're encouraging the caregiver to participate. Yeah. If they're doing it on their own and I'm not there, I I would encourage participation. You don't just want to give someone something to do and then walk away from them because they might be like, well, why aren't you doing this with me? If somebody wants to do something with me, more likely to do it. And you've had, you've seen those that have dementia really come to life through this. Yes. And that their families see this different side of them, this person with strengths and capabilities, which at the bottom of all of this is the goal. I have strength and I have capability and I'm still here. And it's important that we know and figure out what their strengths are. It's going to be different in everybody, but the fact that I can do something and you see that I can do something it can just create this new relationship, both with the art supplies, but also with the loved one. It's like, oh, I didn't know that they could do that. Remember when I worked in assisted living, people would always be so surprised when they came to see that their loved one made art. And I, and I, well, they just did it with ease. And, you know, part of that is probably the calm demeanor that I have versus like somebody, a loved one being saying, you know, do this because I have to go do that because they're, a caregiver's job is never done. There's always something. So there's this level of inherent stress to it. But I don't have that coming in as the art therapist. I don't have that. I'm there with them for an hour. The hope is that maybe outside of that hour, they'll be able to also do art other days of the week because they've had this positive experience with it. And especially the levels of the disease where connection is so difficult. I'm sure that it is so rewarding for the caregiver to be able to connect with Mm -hmm. their loved one. Yeah. As a person gets deeper into the disease process, they need more sensory-based stuff. So they need more things that are touching and moving. And um, maybe it's just like their skin being brushed, like something to, to uplift their senses. And that stuff can be really important later on in the disease process, but it also at some point can be 
in the middle. And what does this person need and what's going to make them them feel good? Yeah. And and really it's about shifting our perception yeah. of what dementia is and what it means for that person, even though we've talked about that it's personal and different for everybody, but just the fact that they're still there. Yeah. It's just, how do you find them? You know, it's like, we're all little Nancy Drews trying to find <laughs> that person. <laughs> Yeah, it truly is. And I think that's so important about what you do is that you're, you're trying to find that person. I imagine we might have listeners who might be thinking, okay, how do I get started? They're caregiving for someone with dementia and they really want to do this. So how would someone get started? Yeah, you can start by taking a piece of paper, you as the caregiver, drawing a circle. I'm all about my circles. And at the top, you can come up with a prompt. Uh, I like to say like, today I feel, or this new year I wish, or something that is open-ended. And the person living with dementia can get that, they'll get that piece of paper and they'll read the first few lines. And oftentimes in my experience, they fill it in with words. Like they'll just start talking about whatever the prompt is, but it has to be an open-ended prompt. It has to be something that prompts someone to continue on. And then within that circle, they can use art supplies to show what it is that this new year I wish or I hope they can use that in that circle. And so they can draw, they can paint whatever art supply you're giving. A few ways to make it more successful is to give choices. So you could give them a choice between two prompts and you can write it. You can see if they want to write it. Um, You can give them a choice between two different art supplies. And then when they make that final decision, you take the other supply out of the equation and you just have them use just one art supply. And this is very open-ended, so it can look like whatever it's going to look like. And as the person who is creating, you they're going to do whatever they want to do in that space. And the person who's not creating in that art needs to make sure they don't judge it, that they don't ask, what is that? You can say something like, can you tell me more about this? Wow, I saw that you used the color red. Is that a color you like to use? Like These sound like weird questions, but they're questions that meet the person where they are and allow them to have self-expression. So it's not about what's there. It's about the process that they had with the art creation. It's about the connection that they had with those art supplies. It doesn't have to be something. I think a lot of times people give projects and I do this too, where it's like there's steps and they have to be done in such a way for it to be a pretty product at the end. And there are programs that do these. There's, it's not to say if it's wrong or right, but as an art therapist, process is more important than product. How you got there is more important than what it looks like in the end. I love that. Doing your best not to judge whatever part, whether it's the process or the finished product. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's someone's experience and they're sharing that experience with you. So to honor that experience is to accept it, to not deny it any other way. And again, if the person jokes about it, if they joke about their art, you can joke with them, but you don't want to be the one to 
to start the joke or you don't want to be the one to offer the critique because that's why people don't like to create art is because it sometimes doesn't come out the way they want and other people can see that it's not the way it's supposed to be and that judgment factor. Yeah. Or saying things like, well, you've never liked the color red or you, you hated drawing. I think, yeah, that, that is such an important part and might even be the hardest part. Yeah. You also have me thinking about this one other thing. Oftentimes I don't tell people we're going to do art or I don't tell them we're going to paint. It's just, Hey, I have something for you. You want to come check it out and offering this level of curiosity to them that when they get there, they then become curious and almost they self-emerge themselves in what they do instead of being like, hey, you want to paint? Because nine out of 10 people would probably say no. <laughs> and I like what, what you said about the color thing because I hear that all the time. It's like, well, you still like that. You must still like it now. And it's like, no, I have the ability to change my mind. Uh, people might say, oh, they eat the same thing. And it's like, no, give them choices still. They don't have to have a tuna fish sandwich every single day at 12 o'clock. They can have a peanut butter jelly sandwich tomorrow at 1130, or they can have a turkey sandwich the next day at two o'clock. But you got to give them choices because choices empower people and they make them feel in control. And when they feel in control, they feel good about themselves. And at the end of the day, all we want for people living with dementia related to us or not is for them to feel good about themselves. And how art plays into that is it just, you know, you, you choose your supplies, you choose what you want to do, and you get to do what you want with them. You get to force that control over that art supply to, to do its thing. And then you feel good about yourself, yourself, because you let that out. Yeah. I, um, okay. So I have to go back to tuna fish and peanut butter and jelly (laughs) because I know we've called them judgments, which can be such a negative word, but do you think sometimes those are just the caregiver's way of trying to hold on to that past connection? I never thought about it that way, but I I think it could be. Because I've always wondered, you know, if this was my husband and, you know, would I be trying to hang on to the past? Would that be that connection I'm trying to hang on to? Because you're losing all of these connections that you used to have. Yeah. Yeah. Those small little things that you just don't want to let go of. You're you're probably right. But maybe, you know, maybe if I were to make, to bring that metaphor over to art making, it might be that person who is an artist their whole life and their family just wants them to start painting again, but they don't want to paint and they're not interested in painting anymore. It doesn't, doesn't give them the same feeling that it gave them before. And so for them, it's about finding a new art supply. But the family member might be like, well, you painted your whole life. Like, how could you not want to paint? And it feels like another loss. Yeah. Because the losses are, they're, they're more than the wins. And so what I hope to do with art for people is to show a win, is to show this person in a different light, which can be difficult to see because it's not how maybe they would have been 10 years ago, 20 years ago in your memory, but they still can have joy. And they still can have sparks of life. And and that that's what I seek to get for people. I love that. And so, Erica, what would be your number one or 
to (laughs) most important tips for caregivers? If they do not connect to art that day, don't give up, but also don't put tons of pressure on yourself. It, It just might not be the day for it. And that's okay. There's no perfect answer for a perfect person. Everyone is so individualized. I feel like sometimes I stress, like, keep trying, keep trying, but also do it on your own time. Do it when you're in a space where you feel good because they're going to pick up on that energy. If you keep trying, you get more frustrated and frustrated. They're going to pick up on the frustration. They're not going to want to do it. They pick up on that. You know, make sure you're in a good space when you're presenting some something to them, but also make sure they're in a good space. If you're going to present something like creating art, just playing with art supplies, coloring, whatever it is you decide, if they're not in a good space, it's not going to work. And then they're going to have this negative memory of art. And so they're going to be less likely to do it the next time, maybe when they aren't good space. So only introduce new things. That's anything to them in a good, healthy space. Those are my doable my doable tips, your energy is going to reflect their energy and their energy is going to reflect you. That's so, that is so simple, but so important and probably not even that simple. Right. <laughs> right. Cause emotions are involved. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not easy. And I think that's, that's why you've got to make sure you're taking care of yourself and that you're, you figured out some kind of self-care routine. My thing is art, but it's, going to be different for everyone and either do it as something in the morning to start your day or do it at the end of your day to end the day figure out are you a morning person or a night owl where does it work best in your schedule and just use that space that five to ten minutes it doesn't have to be 40 minutes it could be five to ten minutes to write to draw to meditate whatever it is whatever works for you Check out this episode's doable download in show notes for details, including industry terms and definitions we discussed, as well as a bonus tip from our guest. Have questions or your own tips to share? Leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, make it doable. Doable.